You're listening to the Biblicist Podcast, designed to equip, challenge, and encourage believers to look at life through the lens of Scripture. If you have any questions about today's episode or have a topic you would like to hear on this podcast, please email us at thebiblicistpodcast at gmail.com. I have an exciting episode today that I'm really thrilled to do. And I have two apologies. The first is, I didn't have a question last week at the end of my episode. You know, I know it just totally ruined your week. I'm just kidding. Um, The second is um, that there's a lot of information in this episode. It's going to be a little bit longer than normal. My apology is, is that I couldn't fit in any more information. Um, And I had to stop studying for this episode because... Uh, minutes were becoming hours, hours were becoming days, and um, my intent is not to spend that much time on a singular episode for the Biblicist podcast. <laughs> I do like being prepared and having good content, um, but there's a lot of other stuff that I need to be well, working on and researching for, but um, I had to get the, have to get this podcast on and going, um, especially seeing as I've spent this much time on it at this at this point. Um but I want to start with just kind of a thought here, and and if this for this first section of today's podcast, if this is all you have time to listen to, that's what this section is for. And for those that want to get into the deeper part of today's podcast, you can keep listening because, I, like I said, I like to keep it short. But today's a longer one, um, and we're going to get into some apologetics here in a little bit, which I normally don't do here on the Biblicist podcast, but I feel so um, uh, feel like that is. Uh, we're going to get into, into some apologetics here on uh, today's episode, which we don't normally do, but I feel like that is something we need to do uh, today. Um, something that I have heard often in my life is this. You are still young. You have time. I've been told this when I was a teenager. I've been told this when I was in college. Um, I've been told this when I had uh, then had a family and was 25, and now I'm 30, almost 31, and I get told it often still. Something that is interesting is that um, what they told me at 15, they're telling me at 30, and I'm 15 years older. And now let me give you my opinion on this. Not not only could this be bad advice. It has some logical problems, and I don't. I don't want to confuse this with you're you're too young to have a cell phone. You're too young to have a car. You're you, you're too young to have um, a, a girlfriend. You're too young to make a choice about whatever. That is good advice. I understand that, and uh, different people's maturity levels and what they need. What I'm talking about is. In regards to me personally, when I've shared my dreams and visions of plans of things that I want to do for God's glory and um, things that I want uh, to do with the life that I've been given, oftentimes I'm like, oh, you're still young. You have time. The problem is that being young is somewhat subjective. Someone in their 20s, right, thinks the person in their teens is young. While someone in their 40s thinks someone in their 30s is young and the process continues until death, right? (laughs) Now, no one knows how long their life is. So how do you know they have time? 
or even if in all reality that they're truly young. Because someone who is 17 but is going to die at 20, in all reality, is really old in regards to their, their lifespan that God's given them. So two points with this. Don't skip valuable or necessary steps, but get after it. I have to make this very clear. I don't mean you're young, so um, we don't know how, how much time we have left. So uh, don't go to college. Don't get an education. Um, don't have a proper courtship. Just, just you know, meet someone and get married right away. Like I'm not meaning any of those things. I'm not saying skip wisdom. <laughs> don't skip valuable or necessary steps. But get after it. Get after it. Don't think, oh, I have time. I can learn that later. I can learn that part of my life later. I'll read my I'll read my Bible later when I actually enjoy reading my Bible. I'll pray more when I actually am old enough and mature enough to pray more. I'll do something about that. I'll 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 do something for the community and and give back. You know, so when I get something figured out. Get after it. You don't know how short your life is. And so. Live for God, live for his glory, and uh, number your days. You don't know how many days that you have left. And then secondly, for those of us who are parents, your kids are smarter than you know. Invest in them. I have deep theological conversations with my kids. And some would say, oh, then they don't understand that. They don't grasp it. They are grasping more than you realize. We talk about the Trinity. We talk about the blood atonement. We talk about deep theological things. I don't know how long their life is or what God has for them, but I'm teaching them now to understand the Bible, to understand these theological issues, to understand the world that they live in. Because every year that goes by, the world gets to our kids earlier and earlier and younger and younger. So, Stop saying, oh, you're still young. You still have time to learn about that. You still have time. Once again, I'm not talking about wise issues. I'm just talking about living for God's glory, doing things for him now, not waiting for things to come to us, but but going after, learning, seeking after God. Um, and you know, I could, yeah, I'm only 30 years old, right? And I guess if I live a full life, yeah, maybe I'm still young. But how I view it is, is that I don't know how much time I have left to invest, so I need to invest now into God's kingdom. I need to invest now for his glory. So don't think you're young. Stop telling people that they're young. Help those that are younger than you to learn the scripture, to, to live for God. And you stop thinking, I have time. I have time to think about this. I have time. Like, no, serve God right now. Serve him today. Now we're going to get into the apologetics of today's episode. Um, some of you may have you may have watched the YouTube show Good Mythical Morning, um, very popular YouTube channel. I think they got like 15 million subs, um, and uh, I used to watch them often. I thought they 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 are funny, uh, entertaining, um, and uh, I would watch episodes with my kids from time to time. But the episodes started getting a little not as family friendly anymore. Let's put it that way. Um, and the, because of the direction of the content, I was, I was beginning to think, man, something's different about these guys because, um, I had known that they, at some point professed to be evangelical Christians and, um, but the content 
wasn't adding up to me. I'm like, man, they're saying things they hadn't said before. They're doing things they hadn't done before. Their their standard in their show has changed. And so I was really curious about it. And then one day on my YouTube um, home page, it suggested, uh, they also have a podcast called Ear Biscuits. And uh, their names are Rhett and Link. And they had an uh, an episode of their podcast called um, uh, Rhett's Spiritual Deconstruction, I think is what that was called. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. They don't. Long, they no longer claim to be Christians. Um, and I knew right away as soon as I saw the title, that's what it was going to be about. I didn't. But I, I. But it was an hour and a half, and I listened to the whole gut wrenching thing. Um, I appreciated his candor. I appreciated his, um, his honesty. Um, and I also strongly disagreed with everything that he said. Um, and so I got, I was sad. I was angry. Then I was back to sad again. Um, because as he talked about, and they, and they had a Christian marriage and, and kids and, you know, referred to themselves as a Christian family. And he said he got out of the boat of Christianity and he said he pulled his family out with him. And so now he's uh, what he calls himself a, a hopeful agnostic. And so I was like, man, you went down this road and pulled your family out with you. Like, I don't even know how to take this. Like, that's, that's just heart wrenching. Um, and it was really hard to listen to, but I made myself listen to the whole thing. And um, like I said, really sad, really sad. But then I listed out his journey on a very technical basis of step one through whatever of the things that made him doubt his faith to ultimately him walking away from the faith. Um, and his ultimate reason for leaving the faith has nothing to do with the journey that he was on of doubting his faith, actually. Um, and I'll explain that when we get to it. So let me just, I'm going to list the things that kind of led to him walking away from Christianity, and I'm going to respond to these things. And some of you might already be thinking you have answers to these. Now, keep in mind, he gave references. He gave very detailed answers. He wasn't trite in any way. Uh, you can go watch it if you want to. You can look it up on YouTube. Um, and he gets in, in detail and, and, and all those things. And so I'm not trying to say he was trite with his answers. He wasn't. He was very detailed. Um, but he he began with, Christians disagree on the age of the earth. And it was unsettling to him that Christians who supposedly have the truth have a disagreement. That's just funny to me. I'm sorry, Red. That's just funny to me. Um, number, I don't, I don't, I'm going to answer all these. The second thing was the apparent overwhelming evidence for evolution. I'm going to answer that too. Um, the third was the lack of evidence for the Exodus. In fact, um, now once again, I'm going to I'm going to talk stop with all these. I'm going to go break down each one of these. But um, he claimed in his response that there is zero. He said literally, there's zero evidence for the Exodus. And uh, um, yeah, uh, number four. Um, that the Gospels are historically unreliable. And that just in general, there was a lack of compelling evidence, even when he looked at the other arguments, that there's just a lack of compelling evidence. And then he came to his conclusion, um, which I think he should have started with, but I won't start with that. I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and start with the very first one. 
Christians disagree on the age of the earth. How unsettling. First of all, like I said, this is funny to me that something that was unsettling to him was that Christians disagree on things. Well, Christians are something else before they're even Christians, and that is human. And humans make incredible mistakes, even those that have a Bible and the Holy Spirit. Um, (laughs) You can't take out the human will of this, that that humans are going to make mistakes. It's not just within Christianity. It's within any belief system at all. Um, They're going to disagree, even among your now agnostic friends. You know this, that they're going to have major disagreements with that. Um, That being said, a disagreement over the age of the earth um, has never been a problem for Christian theologians at all, like for decades. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't agree with this. Um, but you know, when, when scientists were starting to say, oh, the universe might be millions of years old. And of course now they say billions, but when they're saying the universe is millions of years old, um, Christian theologians, um, they even bat an eye. It was like, huh, I guess we just misinterpreted Genesis one. Um, that the universe must have already existed when we come into this story. Um, the universe is older than we thought it was. Um, and it wasn't, in the, to them, they didn't see a conflict in the Genesis account. In fact, the most popular one was the gap theory, which is Genesis 1 1 happened. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? So, universe created. And then Genesis uh, uh, 1 verse 2 um, is then millions of years later when he has this special creation of, 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 uh, of Adam and Eve and all these animals and, and cre- creation on earth. Um, so um, didn't bother them at all. It's like, oh, okay, well, I guess we were mistaken that it, the universe was young. Uh, if there's evidence for it being old, then it must be old, and the universe must have uh, 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 been around for a long time before you have these literal six days of, of creation. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure this is something Brett would say that's not compelling. Well, I would agree with that to an extent because I don't believe that. Um, but um, that's, I'm just saying, that hasn't been a problem. And of course, in more recent years, Christians who um, want to believe in an old universe uh, and find things like um, uh, the gap theory unconvincing have believed that the beginning of Genesis is just poetic. Once again, I don't find this convincing. For me, from as a Christian perspective, I don't uh, I don't take that position. But um, uh, Rhett was basically arguing that well, if evolution is true and the and the Earth is is old, then that and it, uh, that means Adam and Eve weren't real people. That doesn't follow by any means, um, even if it's poetic. Poetry is written about real people all the time. And so his argument was that, uh, you know, in the Gospel of Luke, Adam is included in the genealogies. But if evolution is true and the, and the earth is old, um, then Adam wasn't a real person. So that means Luke isn't true. That, just, that doesn't follow through even logically, not even a little bit. Um, evolution does not prove that Adam did not exist. Um, and evolution uh, or in and an old earth and, it be, and Genesis being poetic wouldn't prove that Adam doesn't exist either. By the way, I don't believe in an old earth and I don't believe Genesis one is poetic. Um, but I'm just saying, even if I was wrong about that, which I don't think that I am, otherwise I wouldn't have said that it still doesn't cause a problem for Christian theo- theology in the long run. It really doesn't because the- theologians have answered that for literally decades <laughs> for decades. Um, all right. That's my response to that first thing. Cause I just think that's silly. Um, the second is the overwhelming evidence for evolution. So what happened was he read a book by Francis Collins, who was part of the, the Homan, uh, sorry, the human uh, genome project. 
Um, he wrote a book called The Language of God. Now, keep in mind, Francis Collins is a Christian. And Rhett picked up this book thinking, oh, yay, more evidence for my faith. This is before he was, you know, really, really doubting. This, this was the game changer for him. Now, let me talk about this book for a second, The Language of God by Francis Collins. Now, in this book, he assumes that the Big Bang, by the way, which is a theory that a large amount of astronomers, scientists, engineers, independent researchers have declared to be a dead theory, just, just so you know. Anyway, so he assumes the Big Bang theory is, um, uh, is a fact. He assumes that Hugh Ross's opinions are correct and that Genesis isn't historic but poetic. Um, he believes that um, the fused chromosomes in humans, the chromosome 2, is undeniable evidence that humans have a common ancestor with apes. And this is where Rhett takes a long bit of time and referred to this, I believe, as, as earth-shattering for him. Like, this just rocked his world when he saw that, wait... Here's a Christian, and he's saying there's undeniable science that we're connected to apes, that we have a common ancestor. This is evolution. And it scared him. It, it shocked him. This is the beginning of his doubt. Now, he went on this whole explanation of, how, 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 of trying to explain chromosome 2. You can Google it. You can research it all you want. It gets really technical. I'm going to make this really simple for you guys, and I'm not trying to make it dumb. Or for my for my purposes, I'm really not. I did a lot of research on it. I just can't. I can't. Uh, it's really deep. Um, it's about DNA and it's intense. So, bottom line is humans have 23 pairs of chromosomes and apes have 24 pairs of chromosomes. And the hypothesis is this: in the human evolutionary lineage, two ancestral ape chromosomes fused at their telomeres, producing human chromosome two. And once again, the person who made this theory popular is also um, uh, a Christian, well, a Roman Catholic. Um, so once again, I got to go back to that first point. To the, the person who made that theory popular and the person that's describing it in this book, that's shaking Rhett's world, did not lose their faith over it. It didn't bother them at all. It doesn't make them think that it makes the Bible um, ridiculous and, and uh, lose evidence for it. No, they just have no problem with it at all. Once again, I do, but that's just, we'll get to that later, maybe. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean Christianity isn't true. The Bible isn't uh, reliable by any means. Um, let's talk about this theory. That we have 23 pairs of chromosomes, apes have 24. The theory is, once again, that one pair of um, this common ancestors uh, pairs fused. And when they fused... Ta-da! Humans. This is just dumb. Um, sorry. Um, and I'm not just saying that. This, uh, you can do the research yourself. This used to be like the big, you know, we got, we, we figured it out. We found the evidence. Um, but a lot of scientists will be like, this doesn't prove anything. Um, and that's because it doesn't. Um, the only way that someone came up with this theory, or even I should say hypothesis, is because you can't test it. Um is because they already believed we have a common ancestor. And so when they see this, oh, there it is. That must be it. Um, but this is how ridiculous this is. Sheep, for instance, can occasionally have fused chromosomes, up to like three fused chromosomes at one time even. And they're still a sheep. Fused chromosomes don't turn you into a different creature. 
that's what we can test. Not only is the chromosome 2 not earth-shattering evidence that uh, undeniably connects humans to apes, it doesn't even prove macroevolution. Once again, I'm, I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm just, I just I did research on this. I really did study it. Um, and at the time this book was written, a lot more evidence has come forward on chromosomes and DNA. Um, uh, a medical doctor, Joseph uh, Cazell, um, said this about this book. Unfortunately, the book is filled with flaws in interpretation of observed facts due to Collins' presumption of evolution. But most disappointing to me as a physician are the repetitions of disproved evolutionary canards regarding human anatomy. Research has confirmed that the design of the retina is ideal, that the spine is well designed for optimum flexibility and weight bearing, and that the appendix does have extremely important important functions as part of the immune system in the earlier years of life. See, because there's this idea within the science community, all right, the, the quote's over. There's this, there's this idea in, this, in, 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 the, uh, in the evolutionary science community um, that there's, there's like junk DNA in our body and that um, we have things left over from our ancestors in our body that, and that's, that's that junk DNA. And this is continually being disproven. Uh, Dr. Elizabeth Mitchell said this, uh, some evolutionists have assumed that junk DNA is essentially leftovers from the evolutionary process as organisms evolve from one kind of organism into another. The ENCODE project's discovery that at least 80% of the so-called junk DNA in humans has specific biochemical activity has left a bad taste in the mouths of many evolutionists. After long claiming such junk was primarily a, a useless vestige of eons of evolution, the finding that most actually uh, seems to do something in humans led to a debate over the definition of the word functional. Now, if you want someone who's not necessarily a young earth creationist, but believes that there is um, this evidence, scientific evidence for a designer Probably the most popular, well-known right now would be Stephen C. Meyer, brilliant guy, respected guy. He's written Signature in the Cell, Darwin's Doubt. He said this, quote, Ability to, to detect design makes belief in an intelligent designer or a creator or God not only a tenet of faith, but brings science and faith into real harmony. I love this. I, I love that. Like, we, is there, there, he, he made this whole thing about overwhelming evidence. Well, what he means by that, there's a whole bunch of scientists that believe that um, uh, evolution happened and that a creator isn't necessary. Um, that, that's true. A majority of scientists do say that. But there is a lot of scientists who believe in the biblical account who have doctorates in a science field. In fact, there's a list. You can find this list. On creation.com. Dr. Paul Ackerman, Dr. E. Theo Agard, Dr. James Allen, Dr. Steve Austin, Dr. S. E. Awe, Dr. Thomas Barnes, Dr. Uh, G. F. Bernard, uh, Barsa Barnard, I'm butchering his names, I'm sure, Dr. Don Batten, Dr. John um, Baumgartner, Dr. Jerry Bergman, Dr. Kimberly Bernie, uh, Professor Vladimir uh, Batina, Dr. Raymond, um, Dr. Marcus Bleitz, Dr. Andrew Bosanquet, uh, Edward A. Budrix, uh, Dr. David R. Boylan, Professor Lynn E. Carothers, Dr. Robert W. Carter, Dr. David uh, Kathpole, uh, Professor Sung Dul Chang, Dr. Eugene F. Sheffin, Dr. Chung Kok Chang, Professor Jun Sik Chang, Professor Chung Yushou, 
Dr. John M. Simbala, Dr. Harold Coffin, Dr. Bob Compton, Dr. Ken Cumming, Dr. Jack W. Cuzo, Dr. William M. Curtis III, Dr. Malcolm Kitchens, Dr. Uh, Lionel Nammer, uh, Dr. Raymond V. Dadamidian, Dr. Chris Darnbro, Dr. Nancy M. Darrell, Dr. Brian Dawson, Dr. Douglas Dean, Professor Stephen W. Decker, Dr. David A. DeWitt, Dr. Don DeYoung, Dr. Geoff Downs, Dr. Ted Driggers, Dr. Angel Duty, Dr. Chad Duty, uh, Robert H. Eckel, Dr. Andre Egan, Dr. Dudley uh, Eric, Dr. Deborah, Dr. Edra Elmer, Professor Dennis L. Eglin, Professor Danny uh, Faulkner, Professor Carl B. Uh, Flemans, Pro uh, Professor Dwayne L. Ford, Professor Robert H. Franks, Dr. Kenneth W. Funk, Dr. Alan uh, Galbraith, uh, Dr. Paul Gein, Dr. Um, Mahij Gidrick, Dr. Tim Gilmore, Dr. Dwayne Geesh, Dr. Werner Gitt, Dr. D.B. Gower, Dr. Diane uh, Grokot, Dr. Stephen Grokot, Dr. Donald Aman, Dr. Barry Harker, Dr. Charles W. Harrison, Dr. John Hartnett, Dr. Mark Harwood, Dr. Joe Havel, Dr. George Hawk, Dr. Margaret Helder, Dr. Harold R. Henry, Dr. Jonathan Henry, Dr. Joseph Henson, Dr. Robert A. Herman, Dr. Andrew Hodge, Dr. Kelly Hollowell, Dr. Ed Hulhorig III, Dr. Bob Hoskin, Dr. George F. Howe, Dr. Neil Hubbard, Dr. Russell Humphreys, Dr. James A. Huggins, Evan Jameson, George T. Javar, Dr. Pierre uh, Drostrom, uh, Dr. Arthur Jones, Dr. Jonathan W. Jones, Dr. Raymond Jones, Dr. Felix uh, Kentoy Ahu, Professor Leonid uh, Kurinking, and uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Valerie Karapunin, Dr. Dean Kenyon, Professor Jai Tae Kim, Professor Harriet Kim, Professor Jung Bai Kim, Professor Jung Ham Kim, uh, those are two different names, Professor Jung Wook Kim, uh, Professor King Rang Kim, Professor Hyung Tai Kim, Professor Young Gil Kim, Professor Young Yin Kim, uh, Dr. John W. Klotz, Dr. Valmir F. Kandrenko, Dr. Leonid Krinkin, Dr. John K. G. Kramer, Professor Jin Hyung Kwan, Professor Young Sung Kwong, Dr. John G. Leslie, Professor Ling P. Lester, Dr. Jason Lizzle, Dr. Alan Love, Dr. Heinz uh, Liklama, Dr. Ian McCready, Dr. John Marcus, Dr. George Marshall, Dr. Jim Mason, Dr. Ralph Matthews, Dr. John McEwen, Professor Andy McIntosh, Dr. David Metton, Dr. Angela Meyer, Dr. John Meyer, Dr. Albert Mills, Colin W. Mitchell, Dr. John N. Moore, Dr. John W. Moreland, Dr. Henry Morris, Dr. John Morris, Dr. Len Morris, Dr. Graham Mortimer, Stanley A. Muma, Professor Hee Chun No, uh, Dr. Eric Norman, Professor John Aller, Professor Christy Osborne, John, uh, Dr. John Osgood, Dr. David Pace, Dr. Charles uh, Pallahi, uh, Dr. Gary E. Parker, Dr. David Pennington, Professor Richard Porter, Dr. Georgia Purdom, Dr. Albert E. Pye, Dr. John Rankin, Dr. A. S. Reese, Professor J. Randall Short, Dr. Jungu Bro, Dr. David uh, Rosevar, Dr. Ariel A. Roth, Dr. John Sanford, Dr. Jonathan D. Safer, uh, Dr. Jonathan D. Serafai, Dr. Joy Kim Shen, Dr. Ian Scott, Dr. Sami Shabani, Dr. Young Ji Shim, Professor Hyun Kyo Shin, Dr. Mikhail Shogun, Dr. Emil Sylvester, Dr. Roger Simpson, Dr. Harold uh, Slusher, Dr. E. Norbert Smith, Dr. Andrew Snelling, Professor Mansung Sok, Dr. Timothy G. Standish, Professor James Stark, Professor Brian Stone, Dr. Esther Su, Dr. Charles Taylor, Dr. Stephen Taylor, Dr. Kerr C. Thompson, Dr. Michael Todd Hunter, Dr. Ludmilla Tong, uh, Tongkong. Dr. Royal Truman, Dr. Larry Vermeen, Professor Walter Veith, Dr. Joy Kim Vedder, Dr. Tess Walker, Dr. Jeremy Walter, Dr. Keith Wanzer, Dr. Noah Weeks, Dr. A.J. Monty White, Dr. John Whitmore, Dr. Carl Whelan, Dr. Larry Whelan, Dr. Clifford Wilson, Dr. Kurt Wise, Dr. Bryant Wood, Professor Sung Hyung Yang, Dr. Thomas Yi, Dr. Ik Dong Yu, Dr. Sung Hee Yoon, Dr. Matthew Yang, Dr. Patrick Yang, Professor Kim Bin Yu, and Dr. Henry Zul. These are biologists. These are chemists, geneticists, um, uh, aerospace mechanical engineers, physicists, paleontologists, medical doctors. Um, physicists, um, zoologists, <laughs> I mean, just across the spectrum, just across the board, all these names, I probably, uh, will speed that up. And I know I butchered several other names. I'm going to try and put a link for this list, uh, under the description of today's podcast. Um, but just to say, I understand that there is a whole bunch of scientists that believe that evolution is true. There's also a whole bunch of scientists, really smart people also who believe in creation. All right. So that's not an argument to say, oh, well, you know, um, uh, the, this big uh, group of people believes this. Uh, science is something that's constantly changing. And the science is always um, is uh, is has always learned things that it knew was wrong or learned that it was wrong and have corrected. Um, and you said that people and I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but Rhett said that people who. Uh, he had people in his life that said archaeology and science is always proving the Bible to be true. And he said, and I did some research and found out that isn't really true. Well, what world are you living in? Literally the past several years, I've seen headlines in, in science articles that come up, not by creationists, just by science, that go, oh, we were wrong about this. It's actually fill in the blank. And it happens to be in line with what creationists have believed for a long time. That's happening all the time. Um in archaeology and in science. So you're just mistaken on that. Um, 
All right, I got to move on from the science one. That's just, it's a fun one for me. Um, I'm no expert by any means uh, on that. Um, the lack of evidence for the Exodus, or he said zero evidence. Okay, that's just not true. Um, there's this thing called um, uh, the common, uh, uh, what the common or traditional timeline for Egyptian history. Um, that's been around for about a hundred years, I think. Um, and the thing about Egyptian history is that it's very fluid. Like the timeline is fluid, uh, more and more. So people are saying, we're not really sure of the timeline, but they'll hold to what the common or the traditional timeline that Egyptologists have been using for a long time. If we go by what is traditionally understood as the timeline, which by the way, was the Bible was used to come up with this timeline. They, they found this king mentioned in Second Chronicles, and they found someone that sounded similar in Egyptian history and go, oh, there's a timeline. And that's been the timeline that's been used for 100 years. But now they're using that same timeline that they got from the Bible to show that the Bible is not reliable. Do you see the problem with that? Do you see the circular reasoning? Well, because of the Bible, we know that this is the timeline. And we know that the Bible is wrong because of the timeline that we came up with with using the Bible. Well, there's many Egyptologists that... Uh, recognize the problem with the history timeline. Um, there is um, several who think that um, they found a correct lineup with the kings. I, I don't have time to get into all of that. You can look that up. The person who's done the best work on that is uh, Tim Mahoney, uh, Patterns of Evidence. He's written a book. He's made three films, and he did a lot of work with an Egyptologist, David Roll. I hope I'm saying his last name right. His last name is R-O-H-L, David Roll. Um and not just him, a lot of guys um, also think that what he's saying is plausible. I'm not saying they agree with it, but they find that his research is plausible. And here's the reality of it. One of two things is true. Um, that is this. There is evidence for the exodus. Um, it just doesn't happen at the right time, according to the common her or, or historic way of looking at Egyptian history, which is constantly changing. But if you go back many years earlier in the timeline, the evidence, archaeological evidence, historical evidence for the Exodus is all there lined up perfectly. So you can either believe that the Bible's timeline is wrong, or you can believe that the Egyptologists' guess of the timeline is wrong. You can, you can take either of those positions but you can't say there's zero evidence. You can't say that. It's a lie to say there's zero evidence. And Tim Mahoney went on a journey with that, did the research over the past 20 years. And um, uh, he originally was going to make a film about the evidence for the Red Sea. And all these guys are saying, why would you do that? We don't even have proof that, uh, that uh, uh, the Israelites were ever in Egypt. Well, there is. There's overwhelming evidence for the Exodus. Um, and in fact, uh, Tim Mahoney, Patterns Evidence, they have a, they had a film just come out. They have another one coming for evidence for the Red Sea because he had a friend, an archaeologist, who told him like 20 years ago, oh man, so far there's no evidence for a Red Sea crossing. Well, he called him recently and said, you know when I told you there's no evidence for that? Well, things have changed since last we talked. <laughs> Imagine that! archaeologists and historians and scientists discovering things that actually do line up with the Bible. Seriously, Rhett, what world are you living in? This is true to say that. 
that um, we're continually finding more evidence for this. And um, once again, guys, do the search yourself. Um, not my favorite. Not my favorite. Favorite's my science one, but you know, maybe they're all my favorites. The historical unreliability of the Gospels. My goodness. After all this, Rhett's like, well, at least I have the New Testament still. <laughs> Even though he had doubts about the New Testament because of the whole Adam issue, which wasn't an issue anyway. Um, he read a book by the famous Bart Ehrman. <laughs> I don't remember which one it was. I don't know if it was misquoting Jesus or another one. Bart Ehrman is like the skeptic favorite of, of the historical unreliability of the Gospels. He's been refuted quite well. He's been refuted very well, actually, by uh, the like of someone like uh, a Dr. James White. Uh, and Dr. James White also wrote a book called Scripture Alone, diving into that. Um, probably the most well-known work of the historical reliability of the Gospels is uh, Craig Bloomberg. And of course, the more layman one would be Lee Strobel, which with the case for Christ, which Rhett said that he read and didn't find compelling. Um, which, by the way, Lee Strobel was an atheist an angry atheist who set out to prove that Jesus didn't resurrect because the gospels are unreliable. And what he found was overwhelming evidence. So I don't understand how that's not compelling um, for him who claimed to be a Christian um, and then uh, walked away from it because of all this evidence. Uh, but, but that's not the reason he walked away from Christianity though. And I'll get to that in a minute. Um, there's there's, there is overwhelming evidence for the Gospels. There really is. Uh, there's just, I, I, I just don't understand. Um, I understand the arguments. They're just not true. And uh, to, to, to think that they're unreliable because of Bart Ehrman is ridiculous. Like I said, he's been refuted. His arguments make no sense. Bart Ehrman doesn't think that we can understand uh, uh, American history to even any extent, if he's honest. Um, and so here's the thing. I'm just going to focus on one thing. I'm going to bring a little bit of philosophy and logic into it. Just a little bit because I've done this aspect before. Um, but there's overwhelming evidence specifically in the Gospels for Jesus' resurrection. The most important part of the Gospels. So let me just say this within my worldview. That the creation is evidence for, for Jesus' resurrection. Within my worldview, right? I'm acknowledging that. Um, because there's lots of philosophical and logical evidence for the creation. And if Genesis 1-1 is true. At least every other verse is possible. Okay? So pe people don't come back to life, right? Universes don't come randomly into existence. But if God can create everything from nothing, he can defeat death. So miracles aren't a problem for me. Which, it's another argument against the gospels by people is, well, they can't be true because there's miracles. Well, why can't there be miracles? Because miracles aren't true. Once again, another circular reasoning there. There's been a lot of work done about proving the existence of miracles, by the way, as well. Um, so in my worldview, creation uh, makes anything possible. Um, but let's get right down to it. The Gospels are early testimony. They're close to the event. Um, written in the first century, for crying out loud. Now, people are trying to argue, oh, they were written much later, much later. No, they were written by eyewitness testimony, okay? Um, and not only that, uh, they record that there was over 500 witnesses um, of seeing Jesus um, back to life. 
Um, they write about embarrassing testimony. People who who don't uh, why would people don't like to make up embarrassing details? And so, like for instance, they it was Mary. It was uh, uh, the women who who went um, uh, to the tomb and found it empty, um, and. Uh, the angel told them, Jesus is alive. They ran without saying a word all the way back and then told the disciples. The men were hiding. The women were going to the tomb. That's embarrassing to the men. And it's also wouldn't make sense if you're trying to make this an accurate, believable account uh, because women weren't respected as they should have been at the time and they didn't really take their testimony. Uh, they wouldn't actually believe uh, women as much in that time period. And so wh- to make a better story, make it the men, make it these brave, courageous men who believe the first time. But that's not what we get. We get doubting Thomas. We have all these people that are just like, oh, uh, I'll move on. It's excruciating testimony. People who knew the truth and willingly died for it. People, eyewitnesses, people who saw Jesus back to life and willingly died. Um, now I understand people who, think something is true, could die for something. But these were people who knew the truth and willingly died. So either they're stupid or Jesus resurrected from the dead. There's circumstantial evidence. For instance, Messianic Jews who were one day sacrificing animals and keeping the Sabbath were suddenly no longer sacrificing animals and instead keeping the Lord's Supper and baptizing. And they were no longer worshiping on Friday night, Saturday morning. They were worshiping on Sunday. I mean, drastic change immediate change, not over a period of time. Um, and then there was expected testimony. There's all these prophecies fulfilled from the Old Testament. And there's extra biblical testimony, 10 ancient non-Christian sources within 150 years of Jesus' life talking about Jesus. And then one of my favorites is that it's historically agreed upon facts by majority New Testament scholars. And that's this. Here's the majority thing. These are the things that majority of New Testament scholars agree on, that Jesus died by crucifixion that Jesus' disciples believed that he rose and appeared to them. Saul, the persecutor of the church, suddenly converted to Christianity. James, the skeptic, suddenly changed. And the tomb was empty. None of these things I'm telling you prove that Jesus resurrected. But it is a lot of overwhelming evidence that he probably did. And yet I hear these guys written links saying, ah, he probably didn't resurrect because this isn't reliable. I'll focus there on the resurrection. You can do more research on that and the reliability of scripture. Uh, <laughs> I got to I gotta talk about this briefly. I got to stay on this for a second. Bart Ehrman uses this example of the Gospels is like telephone. You know, the game telephone where you whisper something in someone's ear and they whisper it to the next person and they whisper it to the next person and they whisper it to the next person. And then when they finally talk, you, it's something completely different. The original message was lost. Well, first of all, the Gospels isn't someone playing telephone. They're written documents. And when one of these documents, these letters, was written and delivered then the people who received it would make multiple copies of this. Not one copy and then getting rid of the original. No, they had the original and then they copied a bunch of them and then sent those out and shared those and then those people copied those. This isn't a single line. 
This is multiple copies being made from the original at one time. And because of this, this is why we can compare the manuscripts and find out what the original said. Because it is the it is more documented and more copied than any, any document from its time period. Um, it's verifiable over and over and over again. Um, Bart Ehrman's arguments are completely ridiculous. Um, all that to say is he comes up by saying the, the, the lack of compelling evidence. Um, I, there were scientists that had answers, but I just didn't find them compelling. Uh, there was historic and evidence, but I didn't find compelling. Uh, there is no archaeological evidence. That's just dumb. Like, there's archaeological evidence for the Exodus. There's archaeological evidence for Bible stories throughout. Um, there's like so many resources on that. Um, and if you want, there's also philosophical and logical evidence. And if you want to get into that, some people are not into that at all. And I totally get it. It's kind of deep. But there's even philosophical and logical evidence for Christianity, which is William Lane Craig uh, and Frank Turk. Now, Rhett made it very clear. He said, don't make me a footnote. Please don't say, well, it's obvious you left the faith because you were never in it. No, I was a real Christian. I had real faith. I had a real relationship. Well, you're saying that because you know the Bible teaches that, Rhett. And I, I get that. That offends you now. The Bible offends you now. It offends you that it's saying you were never, you were never a part of us because you left the faith. I get it. That offends you. But I, I don't care that it offends you. You left because you never had genuine faith. You might have had it because you lived in the Bible Belt and everybody was a Christian, so you went along through the motions and you know prayed and felt like it was a real thing. But you didn't leave your faith because of the doubts and the questions. We've all had doubts, and you mentioned that too. Um, we question things. But you made it very clear by the end of your podcast that you left the faith because the things there was things about God you didn't like. I don't know when this happened in your journey, at what point this happened in your journey, but you didn't. You're like, man, if I. But you literally said in your podcast, I sat down and started thinking from the other side, the other perspective. If what if Jesus isn't what I thought he was? And then you asked yourself these questions: If God, if I don't have to believe in a God that commanded the Israelites to kill thousands of of men, women, and children, then why would I? If I don't have to believe in a God that sends people to a place called hell, why in the... would I? That's what you said. And as soon as you said that, because as, as I was listening to the podcast, I'm like, this is not compelling evidence to leave the faith. What is the deciding factor from him to walk away from Christianity? And it wasn't the evidence, quote unquote. It wasn't the evidence that caused him to walk away from the faith. It was the fact that he doesn't like the God of the Bible. He doesn't like the fact that hell exists. He doesn't like the fact that God has the right to command his theocracy, Israel, to kill people. He doesn't like the fact there's an accountability to a real God. He doesn't like it. That's why he walked away from the faith, and he's using the supposed evidence as an excuse to do it. You didn't pull your family out of one of many boats of religion out into the sea of life, right? What you did was... You walked away from reality into the world of thought of there is no truth that we can know until we're dead. And I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry that you find that more compelling than reality. And I'm sorry that you dragged your best friend Link into it as well. That's really sad. Now let me make this clear. I'll be honest. I should have said this up front. I'm not a Christian because I found all this overwhelming evidence and because of science and history and archaeology. No, like, all those things are good defenses of why my faith is reasonable and intellectual and not stupid. Um, I'm a Christian because I was sitting in a college classroom pretending to be a Christian. I thought I was a real one. I prayed, Rhett. I prayed and talked to God, and I felt like I was intimate with Him. And I read the Bible. I was passionate about serving Jesus. But in the back of my mind, I had all these questions and doubts. And even though my relationship with Jesus felt real, and I kind of pushed those doubts and reasonings aside. I'm like, you know what? You know, I, I just... This is my community. This is what I live in. This is my society. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna go for it. I'll just keep. I'll just keep doing it. But then, I sat in a college classroom, and God spoke to my soul, and said, "Caleb, you're not a real Christian." And I argued with God on this. And what are you talking about, God? I'm a real Christian. I'm studying to be in ministry and. I've done all these things for you. In fact, I've, I've served in all these church ministries. I, I pray. I seek you. I, I love you. What do you mean? I'm not a real Christian. What else do you want me to do for you? And God said, Caleb, I don't want you to do anything. I, I want you to trust me. And my life completely changed that day. Because I let go of my good works and good thoughts and good deeds, deeds and my emotions and my feelings and just trusted him. And he transformed my soul. And now I live for him and seek him and pray and read my Bible. Not to prove that I'm a good Christian, not to feel good about myself, not, no, but because I love him. And I talk about this evidence and this apologetics on this podcast to say it's not illogical and stupid to be a Christian. But I'm not a Christian because of the intellect. I'm a Christian because Jesus saved me. And I couldn't save myself. Simple question today. Not deep at all. This is easy points. First one to answer it. That's the only trick. God saw everything that he made. And behold, it was very what? You know the answer. First one to send it in gets the point. Thanks guys so much for listening. Hope that was an encouragement. Hope that was a help. Read the Bible. Live the Bible. Have a great day. Thank you.